Well, good evening. It's good to see you tonight. Good to have you with us here in person and those joining us by live stream as well. We welcome you to our portrait of Jesus, the Gospel of John. We're to chapter 3 now, and it's good to see all of you here. Last Wednesday night, we had uh, not only those joining us by live stream here in Texas, but we also had some, some from Sioux City, Iowa, and Atlanta, Georgia both. So welcome if you're back with us again tonight. We welcome you as well, but it's good to, good to see all of you and study God's Word together. We have a lot of verses tonight, and I'm going to tell you how we're going to approach it here in just a moment. So let's jump in, and we'll get started. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you tonight for your Word and how you speak to us through your Word. God, every time we read it, every time we teach it, we realize that it's, the, it's actually the words of God speaking to our hearts. And so, Lord, I pray that will happen tonight, whether we're sitting here in the worship center or joining a live stream somewhere else. I just pray the Word of God will be powerful and that you will use it in a special way tonight from this powerful passage of what Jesus spoke about being the bread of life and the true bread that has come down from heaven. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, before we begin tonight, just one housekeeping matter, and that is a reminder that, that next Wednesday night, as soon as our Bible study is over, we'll have a town hall meeting. If you want to ask any questions about our proposed budget for next year, it starts on October the 1st, and that will be in room 281 of the MAC as soon as next Wednesday, not tonight, but next Wednesday night, as soon as our Bible study is over. You can get copies of our proposed budget to you, actually physical copies here as you leave tonight at the exits, but also you can go to our website and it's on there also. So that is a, your opportunity to discuss the budget if you'd like to do so. Any questions you may have uh, next Wednesday night during our town hall meeting. Well, we're to chapter 6 of our Bible study tonight, Portrait of Jesus, looking at what he's like based on some things he said rather than what he did. And uh, tonight we've come to chapter 6. And as we begin, we don't know how much time has elapsed between chapter 5 and chapter 6. Was it immediate? Uh, did he do some other things? Were there some, some, uh, was there a time elapse in there? there? It's very possible there may have been. But we do know that as we open chapter 6, Jesus is now on the northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Now, why is that significant? Because uh, the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee was the side really the Jews didn't go to that much. They would go to the northeastern part, but they would stop. But they wouldn't go to the east side. They're on the west side, the north. The south is pretty much uninhabitable, and the Jordan River uh, running into the south portion. But, but why would they not go to the east side? Well, it was Gentile territory, and they didn't want to put their foot on Gentile territory because they considered them to be unclean. So most Jews did not go to the east side. So whenever Jesus and his disciples went one time over there, you might remember it says they went to the Decapolis, that was the eastern side, and the man was the, the demon cast out of the man and the pigs ran down into the, into the lake. Uh, and so that was the portion of, of about the only time he went over there. So he's on the northeastern side over there, mostly Gentile now, a few Jews, and it's the height of his popularity. Jesus has healed a few people and a few miracles, words getting out. And so the no whole Galilee region wants to see Jesus and be around him and hear what he has to say. So what he says tonight is really interesting because there are several things in play. I can't go verse by verse for all 71 verses tonight. We don't have the time to do it. 
But what I want to do is give an overview to you, and then we'll read it together. I'll stop from time to time and point out things. But let me give you the overview, and then let's read it. And I think the overview will help you to make more sense of it. Several things were in play here in chapter 6. One of the things you see for the first six chapters of John, people are thinking physically and Jesus is talking spiritually. People are thinking materially, and Jesus is talking about heaven. They don't get it yet. Now, they will, but they don't get it. Nicodemus, Jesus is talking about a new birth, and he can't understand a physical birth. Uh, The Samaritan woman, Jesus is talking about living water. She's talking about well water. Uh, And the disciples in Philip, Jesus is talking about the bread of heaven. He's thinking about physical bread. We're going to see in just a moment. So, Several things in play. One of them is Jesus is trying to get their attention on the spiritual and off the physical. He has to do the same with us sometimes, doesn't he? Sometimes we think too too earthly-minded, and he's trying to get us to lift up our eyes and see spiritual things rather than earthly things. So that they had the same problem. Second thing that's in play, as we read this in just a moment, Keep in mind Moses in the Old Testament. Okay, what did Moses do? Well, parted the waters, the Red Sea, and the people went across. And then they wandered in the wilderness, and what did God do? He provided manna from heaven. And so, you see a picture of what Jesus is doing here of saying Moses was the old covenant, but the new Moses is here. Moses was the old covenant. Testament, but the new leader, deliverer, is here. So there's an interplay between the Old Testament manna and the new bread. The Old Testament Moses and Jesus. So watch that as we're going through, and that'll help it to make more sense to you as well. Jesus at this point goes from miracle to discourse to Moses to Jesus from bread to flesh, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. Something else you see here is the the phrase, I am, comes to play. I am the bread of life. And Jesus uses the Greek words ego, which I, E-G-L, like like you know an ego, it's the Greek word for I. I me, E-I-M-I. Ego, I me, means I am. Jesus says that several times in this one chapter. Why is that significant? What, was, what did God tell Moses? His name was, I am. So again, you see the interplay. Moses and Jesus, God spoke with Moses, and God is now speaking with us through Jesus. So you see that interplay. So you see the words, I am, ego, I, me, coming up several times in this chapter. And in this chapter, you see the people's response. They didn't know what to make of Christ. So in this one chapter, you see them going from seeking him, verses 22 to 40, to murmuring about him, verses 41 to 51, to being upset with him, verses 52 to 59, to leaving him, verses 61 to 71. So all in one chapter, they go from loving him, to leaving him because of what he said. What did he say? Well, let's look at it. 
So let's begin, and I think with that overview, it'll help us as we go through, and we'll spend most of our time, the first 21 verses or so, and then we'll go more quickly toward the back end and pretty well read just what he said. First of all, uh, letter A on your outline, Jesus feeds the 5,000, verses 1 through 15. Before I get started reading it, if you're about to talk about being the bread of heaven, what do you do first? You do a miracle with bread. Verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, John's the only one that tells us that he went up on a mountain. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record the, 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 uh, the feeding of the 5,000. The only gospel, the only miracle Jesus ever did, all four gospels record. This is the only one. So, John tells us he went up on a mountain, the others don't. Why? Where did Moses go to meet with God? Mountain. Okay, let's keep going. Jesus went up on the mountain, sat down with his disciples. Verse 4, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, which is what he's trying to get everybody else to do, Seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip. Now, all the rest of the the other Gospels tell us that he spoke to the disciples. John's the only one that tells us he specifically spoke to Philip. Why Philip? He lived there. He lived on the northeastern side of the Sea of Galilee in a town called Bethsaida, which means house of fishermen. So he said to Philip, Philip. Where are we to buy bread so these people may eat? So he brings in bread, and Philip would know a place because he's from there. Philip answered him. Uh, well, verse 6, first of all, he said to, the, to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. 200 denarii is about eight months' wages. So, eight months' salary today is, wouldn't be enough to feed these people. So, Jesus lifted up his eyes. He's looking heavenly, and Philip's thinking earthly. Oh, how are we going to get enough money to pay for everybody? So, what's interesting is each of pe- uh, the people had different responses to what they felt like they needed to do. We'll see that here in just a moment. Verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? It's kind of like they're thinking out loud. Well, Lord, I don't know what we're going to do. There is a boy over here. He's got loaves and fish, but that's that's not, there's a huge crowd here. He's not going to feed everybody. Five loaves and two fish would be the, it's either, it's either lunch for a very poor person, or as Dr. Leon Morris says, it's just hors d'oeuvres. It's just a snack. So, that's not going to feed anybody, they thought. Jesus said to them, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place. Why is that significant? I think John's just telling the details A lot of grass there. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. 
Now, they didn't count women and children, and it says here they only counted men. So, it could have been up to 15,000. 15,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Verse 12, And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, and that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now, was this foreshadowing the Lord's Supper? No, nah, probably not. Because there's bread, but there's no drink that symbolizes the blood. So, it's probably not. It looks like that people had three solutions to the problem. How, where are we going to find enough food to feed everybody? Philip's solution was money. Yeah, eight months' age wages. Where are we going to find enough money? Andrew's solution was a boy. Well, he's got food, a person. He's got food. The rest of the disciples, their solution in Matthew 15's record of it was, they said, just send them home. Get rid of them. They don't need to eat. Let them go home. But Jesus' solution was provide bread from heaven. And that's what he did. So, they picked up 12 baskets full. Anytime you see numbers in the Bible, they're there for a reason, and they're significant. Why 12? It was the number of completion. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 disciples. 12 is significant. It meant something was complete. God did this miracle completely. But he never did a miracle just for a miracle's sake. There was always a message behind it. So, let's see what the message was. Let's continue. Letter B on your outline, Jesus walks on water. Verse 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. Northeastern side where the miracle happened was around the Bethsaida area northeast. Capernaum's over here. So, he'd gone back over to Capernaum. He was going there. Verse 18, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. So, here's the picture. Jesus had fed the 5,000. Uh, by the way, uh, liberals say the main point of the feeding of the 5,000 was you should share. Well, there's a little bit more to it than sharing. Jesus was saying the message that he is God in the flesh. But that's what critics of the Bible, oh, the message of that is you just should share with people. Well, there's a little bit more to it than that. After the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus sent his disciples. They, he told them to get into a boat and go over to, the, to, to Capernaum, the other side probably about five miles or so. They'd made it about three or four miles. 
Jesus stayed back, going up into a mountain to pray. It's nighttime. So they're rowing across. The wind was blowing contrary against them. They're rowing as hard as they can, and they can't quite make it there. And Jesus leaves and starts walking on the water out to them. Now, there's a word uh, that's in verse 19 that critics of the Bible jump on. It's the word on, walking on the sea. It's the word epi. We get the word epidurus from it, meaning upon. So, uh, it also can be translated beside. So, there are critics of the Bible who say he wasn't walking on the water, he was walking beside the water, but it was dark and it gave the impression he was walking on the water. That's what critics of the Bible say. The only problem with that is epi most of the time is translated upon and the disciples were frightened when they saw him. They wouldn't have been frightened if he's on the shore. So he definitely was walking on the water. Walking on the water and he came near them and they were frightened. The other gospel writer says they thought it was a ghost. But he said to them, it is I, ego I me. He said, I am. Do not be afraid. So you're one of the disciples. You're trained in Judaism. You know what I am means. You're in the middle of the sea. You're frightened to death. Someone's walking out there and you're startled. And the first thing they say is, I am. What do you think of? God. Don't be afraid. So those critics who say Jesus never claimed to be God, here is a direct reference of saying I'm God. That's what the first words he said. I am. Verse 21, they were glad to take him into the boat. I bet they were. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Now, what did it mean immediately the boat got there? couple of theories. Some scholars say, well, they were almost there anyway. Jesus got in and got calm and they could row safely in what, where they needed to be, where they needed to go. Others believe it was a miracle where they transported them quickly and they're there. Well, maybe. But in either case, they made it there. And the main point was they're, they're wondering, who is this man? I think of Moses. What did Moses do to prove God was with him? Provided manna for the people. What else did Moses do to provide to show God was with him? Authority over the waters. What did Jesus do? Bread from heaven, authority over the water. So you're starting to see a picture that just as Moses came, the new Moses is here. Because they believe, Jews believe, that when the Messiah comes, he's going to duplicate some of the things Moses did. One of the things they felt was when the, when the Messiah came, he would, he would duplicate the manna. It would be the new Moses. And that's why they said in verse 15, they perceived, are you the great prophet? Come back. So Jesus is showing that the new Moses, the Messiah, is indeed here. Now look next, I am the bread of life, letter C on your outline. Look at verses 22 to 25, kind of interesting. 24 rather. 
Verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea, the northeast side originally we were at, saw that there had only been one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Verse 24, so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Okay, now here's the picture. It's kind of humorous if you think about it. They knew Jesus was in a boat and the disciples were in a boat. And they were on the northeastern side where the miracle happened. They know the disciples got in a boat and left by themselves. And Jesus' boat remained. And now the next morning, Jesus and the disciples are all on the other side, but Jesus' boat's still there. And they saw the disciples leave. So they're going, wait a minute, how did he get over there? His boat's still there. He walked. He did, he walked. So they're scratching their heads. How did, your boat's still here. How did you get over there? So verse 25, they ask. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And he doesn't answer their question. Verse 26, Jesus answered and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You're following me for the wrong reason. You're just here because your belly's full. You don't really see anything deeper here than you don't. That's all. You just see a miracle worker. That's all. Why didn't he say, uh, I walked on the water? He didn't answer their question. And he didn't tell them how he got there. All he said was, you guys are following for the wrong reasons. You just had the miracle performed, and as long as I do things for you, you're going to follow. You're not here for the signs. You're here because I fed you. Verse uh, 27, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him... God the Father will set his seal. So they responded, verse 28. Then they said, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus said, you've seen the works of God. Well, what do we do to do the works of God? And Jesus responded, you don't do anything. You believe. Verse 29, Jesus answered, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they're thinking, what do we do? And Jesus is saying, you don't do anything. You believe. And today, people are still wondering, what do I do to get to heaven? You don't do anything. You believe. You believe in Christ, just as he told them here. So they're thinking actions, and he's saying faith. It's always been that way. It was even here. Verse 30, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? 
What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. Ah, wait a minute. They're starting to get it. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. So what he stopped and saying was, when you got the manna, it wasn't Moses that gave it to you. It was God that gave it to you. And a little bit earlier, whenever you had loaves to fill your belly, it wasn't God that, or the Moses that gave it, it was God that gave it. For the bread, verse 33, of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Talking about himself. They said, sir, give us this bread always. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am... There's that ego I me again. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. What had he done with the woman at the well? He's the living water. What had he done here? He's the bread from heaven. Whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me, whether you're a Samaritan at the well or a Jew Gentile here, whoever believes in me, you have, you'll never thirst and you'll never hunger. And the word never is in the emphatic Greek position. So in other words, it was his emphasis. You will never hunger and never thirst. I am the bread of life. Three times. In this one passage, he tells them, I am the bread of life. Verse 36, but I say to you, you've seen me, you don't believe. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. There's a never emphatic again. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up at the last day. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Just one note. Verses 37 through 40 tell us, that whenever it comes to salvation, God has a part and we have a part. I know, I know there is Reformed theology out there. There are Calvinists out there that say God does it all. And they're right in the fact that God's sovereign and initiates the salvation process. And really it's a work of his from beginning to end. But if you notice in verses 37 to 40, there is a human response and there is a human responsibility whenever he says, everybody who looks to the Son will be saved. You must respond and you must receive. Verse 41, so the Jews grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Why would the Jews grumble? Because the Jews, the phrase, the bread that came down from heaven was the law. So they're saying he's making himself greater than the law. So they grumbled. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother 
we know. How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Because think about this. He was raised. Nazareth is not far from here. There are people at the feeding of the 5,000, and there are people who are listening to him who had known him since he was this high. Known him since he was about two. So they went back to Nazareth. And so they're going, wait a minute. He's telling us he came down from heaven, but we know his mom and his dad. We've known him our whole lives. And we've seen him grow up. What does he mean by came down from heaven? And Jesus answered, verse 43, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. Nobody gets saved unless the Spirit draws them. And I'll raise him up the last day. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets. He quotes Isaiah now. And they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. There's a second time. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Now, stop for a second. Jesus is now making the comparison between the loaves he multiplied and himself as the bread of heaven and the manna. Think about it. Manna in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament. God gave manna as a gift in the Old Testament God gave Jesus as the bread himself in the New Testament. Manna was mysterious to the Jews. Jesus was mysterious to the Jews. In fact, what does the word manna mean? What is it? It's mysterious. Manna came at night. Remember that? It was at night manna came. They gathered in the morning. Jesus came in darkness. After 400 years of no, of no word of God, they called it spiritual darkness. The word of God between the Testaments, between the old and the new, darkness. He came at night when there was moral and, and spiritual darkness. Manna was small. It was a wafer. Jesus was humble. Manna was round. Jesus is eternal. He's not linear. Manna was white. Jesus was pure. You see a lot of the similarities between the manna and the bread. Jesus is the new Moses as the deliverer. So that's why he's saying he's the bread that came down from heaven. Verse 51, I am the living bread. Three times it came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. See, you eat the manna, you're still hungry. But if you eat this bread, the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, let's stop for a moment. What do we have? We have the feeding of the 5,000. We have the walking on the water. We have the bread. We have the authority over the water, like Moses had authority over the water. We have a discourse 
of saying, I am the bread from heaven. And now he transitions from the bread of heaven into his death. What did verse 51 say? And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. After he says this, they get disgusted and leave. So what did he say that disgusted them? Let's go on, verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Pause for a moment. You know where he's going. You know what he's getting at. You know he's talking about his death on the cross and bleeding. And you know he's talking about the Lord's Supper. But put yourself in their position. They didn't know he was going to die. They knew nothing about the Lord's Supper. You'd be going, what is he saying? A, a guy I've, I've watched grow up, all of a sudden says, you better eat my flesh and drink my blood or you don't have any life in you. You think he's crazy. What happened after this? His mother and brothers came to take him away. They thought he'd lost his mind. It sounds like it, doesn't it? Keep going. Verse 55. For my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father has sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread your fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. After Jesus uh, died and rose again and ascended back to heaven, the early church, were, they were accused by the Roman Empire of being cannibals. And the reason they were accused of cannibalism was because of the Lord's Supper and because of what Jesus said here. The Roman government knew what he said and what he had claimed, and they thought that they literally were gathering in the catacombs, drinking blood and eating flesh. And so they had one of the charges they brought against the early church was that of cannibalism. Of course, we know exactly what he's talking about. They did too. They were observing the Lord's Supper. But Jesus says this now that catches everybody off guard and begins to discuss them. Verse 59 said, Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. If you ever go to Israel with us, we stand here and have a devotion. They've uncovered the old ancient synagogue at Capernaum, and we stand in it. Not the, not the original one, the third century one, but at the same location, the same site of where Jesus spoke these, these words. Now go to letter D on your outline and we'll close, 60 to 71, the words of eternal life. When many of his disciples heard it, all this flesh and blood, many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take 
offense at this? The word he uses for offense is the word scandalizo in Greek. Yes, we get the word scandal from it. Does this scandalize? Is this a big scandal because of what I've said? Verse 62. Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? What if you actually saw him go up into the sky and return to where he came from? They would all see it in the book of Acts. Verse 63, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. In other words, you have to, have the, you have to be thinking spiritually to receive them. Verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who would not believe and those it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Now look at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So we have gone from verse 1, everybody loving him, 15,000 people show up and love Jesus because he's turning the bread into more bread and we get to eat. And in one chapter, they all leave. They were offended, some say, at the discussion about the bread coming down from heaven. But I think, and most, most scholars believe, they were offended at the blood and the flesh talk. That got kind of weird and hurried in their minds. And they were offended at what he said, and they left. So, Jesus turned to the 12. His 15,000's down to 12. He turned to the 12 and said, so, you want to leave too? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I love this passage. Peter is saying, let the crowds leave. We believe you. Let the rest of the world turn away from Christ. I will not. And man, if we had people like that today, let the rest of the world believe what they want to believe. I'm going to believe the Bible. Let the rest of the world follow who they want to follow. I'm following Christ. Because, Lord, where else would he go? You're the one with life. We're following you. And he said, you have the words of life, and we have believed and have come to know you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered, did I not choose 12? And one of you is a devil. Now, he noticed he didn't use the definite article, the devil. He doesn't call Simon, brother uh, Judas Iscariot, the devil. He says, you're devil-like. You are a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for one of the 12 was going to betray him. So Jesus said a lot tonight, and for the first time, people are now beginning to turn away from him. And they're beginning to question, who in the world is he? And we'll pick up more of that in chapter 7 next week. Questions or comments before we, before we close? Charlie.
It's okay. <laughs> I think more than legs went to sleep. We had people going to sleep. Though. <laughs> All right. I'm not really a skeptic, but there's a couple of questions. Sure. Uh, where where the people went over on the boat to follow Jesus, how did they find that many boats? There were boats everywhere. It was a fishing village. And so Bethsaida, I mean, house of fishermen, there were boats everywhere. But a lot of them had walked around the, uh, the, the, uh, the, now, if you go there, it's shaped like this, like a harp. Sea of Galilee is, in fact, Gennesaret meant harp. It was one of the names for Sea of Galilee, shaped like a harp. And so the very, very top corners where Bethsaida and, and Capernaum was, you could go across by boat, but actually you could walk across and get there just as quickly, walk around and get there just as quickly. So that's why you'll see a lot of passages say the disciples went by boat and the crowd had saw where they were going and beat them there because you could do both. Good, you know, good, good question. Then another thing is they got 12 baskets. Where'd they find all them baskets? Good question. Where'd they find the baskets? It was a certain type of basket, which was a Jewish basket. And so they, they had them there, but the wording that's used there was a certain type of basket, which is larger than a normal basket. And so that was really significant because that was even, that was a lot more fish if you filled 12 of the Jewish baskets. So most of them would carry it with them throughout the course of the day to do different things. But the Jews always had this big Jewish basket was with them. So good question, though. Any other questions? All right. Well, we will wrap up there, and let's have a word of prayer, and we'll pick up with chapter 7. Father, thank you tonight that Jesus said so much and made so many comparisons between the Old Testament and how, God, you worked among your people with Moses and manna and water parting. And God, how he duplicated that in so many ways, the true bread from heaven that will never thirst or will never hunger again from drinking or eating of Christ. And so, Lord, thank you tonight for what you taught us. And, Lord, we affirm, just as Peter affirmed, you have the words of life. You're the Holy One from God. And we believe, whatever our culture believes, Lord, we believe you and we believe your word. So, Father, help us to walk in it even this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. See you on Sunday.